reading from Paul to the, to the Romans. From Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for God's good news. God promised this good news about his son ahead of time through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. His son was descended from David. He was publicly identified as God's son with power through the resurrection from the dead, which was based on the spirit of holiness. This son was Jesus, this son is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we have received God's grace and our appointment to be apostles. This was to bring all Gentiles to faithful obedience for his holy name sake. You who are called by Jesus Christ are also included among these Gentiles. For those in Rome when our For those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the good news about your faithfulness is being spread throughout the whole world. I serve God in my spirit by preaching the good news about God, Son, and God is my witness that I continually mention you in all my prayers. I'm, all, I'm also always asking that somehow, by God's will, I might succeed in visiting you at last. I really want to see you to pass along some spiritual gifts to you so that you can be strengthened. What I mean is that you can that we can mutually encourage each other while I am with you. We can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, both your faithfulness and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I plan to visit you many times, although I have been prevented from coming until now. I want to harvest some fruit among you, just as I have done among the other Gentiles. I have had a responsibility both to Greeks and those who don't speak Greek, both to those wise and the foolish. That's why I am ready to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power. It is God's own power for salvation that to all who faith who have faith in God, to the Jews first and also to the Greek, God's righteousness is being revealed in the gospel from faithfulness to faith. It is written, the righteous person will live by faith. May God give a blessing for the understanding of the scriptures. Amen. Thank you, Antonio, for 
reading what was a poor copy that I gave to him. So he did his best, and we are grateful for it. Please join with me in a word of prayer. God, we come to you from all kinds of spaces and places of heart and mind, and so um, we ask that as we gather to hear, to strain to hear a little bit of your word at work, that you would clear the clutter of our minds to receive what it is that you have to say to us today. Speak through me, in spite of me. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, I've had various conversations with folks at UBC that have touched on their dating life, or lack thereof. <laughs> they talk about their platforms and profiles, the coffee beans they've spent on bagels, Kirsten, and the number of OKs they've given to Cupid. They've tried singing in eHarmony and swiping left, or is it right? I can't remember. Over time, they have honed their profiles to most maximize their possibilities. They've figured out ways to kind of head off the pass any folks who would be a bad fit from the get-go so that they don't have to sift through a bunch of janky profiles that they've been superficially matched with. And these folks um, shared their approaches and tactics with me. A common strategy emerged. Can you guess what it is? Just about. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Just about all of them said that they do not identify themselves as Christians on their profiles. Ouch, right? They've realized that if they do say they're a Christian, they get matched with people who are, well, let's just say, not their kind of Christian. Somehow, it is more tolerable for them to be matched with someone who isn't identifiably a Christian than someone who is. Now, I'm not going to judge because it's a jungle out there in Loveland, but I will say, I will say in general, this is just so messed up, right? That in order to find your match, you have to intentionally not include something that is a central commitment and primary in shaping your values in order to increase your chances of finding a potential match. Now, for the Apostle Paul, the beginning of his letter to the Romans is sort of like his personal profile. And he begins in what could be, possibly be the exact opposite way than any of these UVCers I spoke with did. He's like, hey girl, <laughs> Rome, my name is Paul. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let me just say I'm a man on a mission. I have a message to share with the world about my man Jesus. Not only is he the man I've been waiting for, He's also the man you've been waiting for. He's got big love, enough to go around. So why don't we see what can happen when we all get together and experience that love as one? Okay, maybe not. I'm sure Paul would get lots of responses, but they wouldn't be what he was expecting, I'm guessing. Maybe he would end up modifying his profile too, right? But basically, the first part of our passage this morning is kind of like Paul's profile. And just about every letter he writes, he's always up front about where he's coming from and what he wants. And as, as was the letter writing custom back in the day, his introductions also provide clues about what he'll be focusing on in his messages. For these folks in the Roman church, he's especially eager to meet them because this is one of the churches that he didn't start. He's excited to get to know these people who were so caught up in the vision of Jesus that they went out and started to gather on their own and form their own church. 
And it's especially special because these are people who are living in the most powerful city in the empire, right? This is where the cream of the crop lived, the people who were the most savvy, the most successful, the ones that everyone would be spending their coffee beans on. Paul's thinking, gee, if these people have enough excitement and energy to get together and organize a faith community around a set of values that were entirely countercultural to everything that gets them paid, who knows what they might be capable of? I want to go there. One reason Paul says he hopes to do, uh, one, one of the reasons Paul says he hopes to do, um, to get together with them when he gets there, is to help strengthen their spirits in some way. And not only that, but also be strengthened by them, right? And it's right here in this mutual strengthening, this mutual encouragement. This is the hook on which Paul begins to hang his message. Because Paul isn't just talking about encouraging one another in the sense of, hey, you can do it, way to go. He's talking about something much deeper, much more spiritual. Some scholars who talk about this passage say that Paul is just being nice, right, and following the formal etiquette by acting like he could learn something from them too. That it's more that he just thinks he can bring something to them. And that's totally possible. I mean, Paul, if you've ever read any of his letters, he's definitely like an alpha type, right, who presents himself as super strong and confident all the time. So scholars could be right. But also thinking about this life that he's living, right? He's traveling all the time. He's couch surfing. He's doing his tent making hustle on the side to support himself. He's also out there, right? Trying to share this gospel message that he's been so transformed by, by people who are probably like 95% of the time rejecting him. He's like those people on um, the street with the clipboards, right? That you're like, when, they, when you go by and just hope that they're not like, hey, don't you, do you want to help save children in you know, this country? So he's going, he's like that, right? I mean, hopefully it's not that annoying, but like getting that kind of rejection, right? So he's going 24-7, and while that kind of life can be exciting and inspiring in some ways, right? Not the way that I described it, but sort of in a big picture way. Um, it can also be really, really tiring, right? It can be really discouraging. It can be especially tiring and discouraging when you feel like you're the only one who's committed as well, right? As much as Paul wanted to strengthen the faith of the Roman church, I think, I think he also needed to be strengthened and encouraged. I think it was encouraging for him to know that there were others who were also so inspired by the gospel that they would invest their time, their talents, and their finances to create this new community all on their own. I recently had a conversation with a UVCer who works with one of our ministries here at Hyde Park Woodlawn, and they were sharing how they felt discouraged in that it felt like no matter what they did to try to get this area of ministry going, people were just not following through in the ways that they said that they would. And there are lots of reasons why people don't, right? They just have things happening in their lives and it's messing them up, right? But this person, the effect of it was that they were feeling overwhelmed and defeated and ultimately had found that they had not only lost a sense of joy about that area of ministry, but they were starting to feel joyless about coming to church. They had high hopes for how this ministry could grow and maybe be a powerful expression of, of God's hospitality um, and the spirit of hospitality here at Hyde Park Woodlawn in particular. But those hopes had fallen flat when it became clear that there were folks on the team who just were not as committed and the thing is, I bet if you asked any of those team members about whether they wanted to be part of their team and add their energy to helping High Park Woodlawn be a more welcoming place, each one of them would have said, absolutely. But it wasn't showing up, right? 
For Paul, a key expression of faith is embodiment, showing up in your body. In his introduction, he talks about faithful obedience. And this word that gets translated as obedience in Greek is hippokoi. Um, hippa or hypa, like the word hyper, right? And koi, which is the Greek word for hearing. It's a hyper hearing, right? A deep internal hearing, a kind of hearing that goes so deep it gets in your bones. It gets in your bones and compels you to move. So some of you, many of you know that I have this new daughter, Selah. And before she was born, I had a few expectations of how I'd feel, right? I thought, oh, I'll probably be tired. I'll probably be in awe at this amazing baby. Um, I figured I'd feel nervous about whether or not I was doing things right or confusion as I tried to figure out which of the trinity of baby needs it could be, hunger, diaper, or sleep. Um, But there was one feeling that really took me by surprise, and I've shared this with a few of you, a feeling that I never dreamed that I would feel. Terror. Those first few weeks she was with us, whenever she would cry, it felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest. I would instantly start kind of looking around and shaking a little bit, um, and my heart would be beating so rapidly, I'd just jump out of bed. I would laugh if I didn't feel like I was under attack each time. It took nearly two months for me to stop feeling that way. Her cries would pierce me so deeply, I had to respond in a bodily way. I couldn't just be like, hold on, let me just like hit the snooze button. You know, it was like the house is on fire and I have to do something immediately. I started to have anxiety dreams about it, actually. Um, So that was my maternity leave. Uh, (laughs) Well, in a similar way, but I hope... (laughs) I hope a less terrifying way for Paul, faith isn't just an intellectual exercise, right? It's not just up here. It's a, and it's not just a spiritual feeling, something that just kind of makes you feel good or kind of inspired even. For Paul, faith also moves your body. Faith finds its fullest expression in what you do with your hands, with your feet, with your time, and with your money. And like I said, it's tough when it feels like you're the only one who's out there doing it, Right? On the flip side, it makes a huge difference when people are actually out there adding their energy, adding their bodies to make this thing happen. So when Paul is talking about how we can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, I think he means it. I think he really is talking about how his spirit and his sense of commitment is made stronger when he sees other people adding their commitment too. A few weeks ago, we had a moment in worship where we received people into membership here at UVC. And when people choose to become members here, one of the things I tell them is that it's mostly that you're making a commitment um, than anything else. And so they make commitments um, in concrete ways, things like giving financially, being part of a discipleship group, being involved with um, at least one justice activity a year and one service activity a year. And then there's this other commitment that might seem sort of funny, right, but is important to our life together. And that commitment is to show up on Sunday mornings whenever you're in town and whenever you're not sick. And the reason why that commitment is there is because it matters when people show up. It matters. Not only because gathering for worship weekly can help you, which it can, as an individual, that it can only, that not only because it can help you grow in your understanding and give you time to engage with God, but actually your presence matters to everyone else too. It matters to everyone else. When we get together and worship God and fellowship as a community, right, something bigger happens. 
Something bigger happens. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say to me, oh, I really love coming to worship. It makes such a difference. I don't know why I go more often. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why either, right? Um, <laughs> there is something that happens when we get together, right? When we sing together, when we pray together, when our spirits come together, somehow when we show up, one plus one ends up equaling three. When we show up, we catch a glimpse of what God desires for everyone. When we show up, we find ourselves mutually encouraged to keep going. And over time, as we show up, we begin to see that God has opened up something within us, right? And among us, that couldn't have happened without our embodied faithfulness, without showing up. Some of you may have heard the news that last week, and actually Drew talked about it up front, um, that last weekend, 4th of July weekend, 53 people were shot and 9 people were killed in the city of Chicago. That number is ridiculous. It's too much. It's unacceptable. But believe it or not, it's better than last year's numbers. Last year, there were 82 people shot and 14 people killed. And one significant reason for that reduced number is that 150 men and women decided to show up in their neighborhood, Inglewood, and be present with their bodies. Now, if you, don't, if you know anything about Inglewood, you'll know that it's one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Not, they showed up, these 150 men and women showed up, not just with their hearts and their minds thinking, you know, I really wish things would be different, but with their bodies to try and reduce violence. 150 men and women walked their neighborhood between 12 a.m. and 8 a.m. on July 4th weekend and talked to their neighbors. They handed out leaflets and they talked about peace and they just engaged people. And do you know how many people were shot and killed in Inglewood, shot or killed in Inglewood last weekend? Zero. zero. That's right, zero. No one was injured over the weekend. No one had to start planning a funeral come Monday morning. No one had to call someone's parents with heartbreaking news. No one had to shake their head and say, what a shame. Aren't you encouraged by that story? Doesn't hearing that there were no deaths or injuries in Inglewood by gun violence over a summer holiday weekend, a long weekend, doesn't it just about blow your mind? Doesn't it lift your heart and give you hope? It only happened because people showed up and put their faith in action through their bodies. They showed up with their bodies. They could have said, it won't make a difference. They could have said, there's nothing that will change. It's just too out of control. But they didn't. They showed up and the results were breathtaking. This is what Paul means when he talks about the faith of the Roman church encouraging him. This is how faithfulness inspires faith. Do you get it? Now the people of Inglewood know that showing up does make a difference. Now they know that they make a difference, each one of them. Or last week I, I talked about how uh, Bree Newsom climbed the flagpole behind the South Carolina State Building to take down the Confederate flag, right? And it seemed some ways that it would end like just sort of being an activist stunt, right? Like it probably wouldn't make any real difference, right? Well, you know what happened just this past week? 
that flag came down. And you, know, you would be fooling yourself if you thought that her action, her embodied faith, that one day the flag would come down, didn't have anything to do with it. This is the power of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we not only have a vision of the world um, where things could be whole and right and true, but that we have the power and the tenacity and the commitment to make that happen through Jesus Christ. We come together every week and in between. We get involved with ministries that help us do what we do on Sunday mornings. We get involved with small groups. We get involved with justice work and service work. And we do all of this to be reminded of our faith, to be encouraged in our faith, to get a taste and maybe even catch a glimpse, catch a glimpse of what faith can do when we actually live it out. It means showing up, something as simple as showing up. It means adding your time and your gifts and your finances in ways that help us know that we are not alone in trying to make this thing, this wholeness of life for all thing happen, right? We're not alone. But it only happens when we see each other doing it. What's been happening in your faith, past, faith life this past week? That's a real question. Who has shown up for you? Who, how have you shown up for someone else? Take a minute to consider these questions. Just think it through. Who has shown up for you? Who's encouraged you in your faith? Can you think of one person? And then think about how have you shown up in your faith for someone else? Write these questions down. Ask yourself every week, who has shown up for you? These are the saints that are going to keep you fed. These are the people who are going to lift up your spirit. Who has shown up for you? But also, who are you showing up for? Right? Whose faith are you helping to encourage? Whether you believe it or not, you matter. You matter. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> your presence matters. It mattered 2,000 years ago to a church-planting pastor who traveled all over the Roman world. And it matters today. Let us pray. God, we thank you that we matter. You, we thank you that you created us to be in relationship with one another, for better or for worse, for richer and for poorer. Help us to have the courage to embrace that, to really fully live into that vision that you created for your world, a vision of a world where people are in deep relationship with one another, who love each other enough, who care about each other enough to actually show up and help us to be convicted in the times and spaces that we need to be convicted because we know that we can do better and help us to rejoice and celebrate and recognize those who, who live into that for, in our lives. Help us to be faithful people who inspire faith. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.